Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for July, August and September 2013, titled Revival and Reformation. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 3 for July 13 to 19, The Word, the Foundation of Revival. Sabbath afternoon, July 13. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to look at your word, and our lesson this week is about your word and how it is the foundation of revival. We pray that as we open your word this week that we will be drawn closer to you, that your Holy Spirit will enlighten our minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Psalm 113, verse 154. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. Let's read that again. Psalm 119, 154. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. Just as serious Bible study spawned past revival movements, we believe that it will happen again in the last days. The Holy Spirit will move upon a generation of committed Adventist Christians who have discovered His will in His Word and are passionate about proclaiming it to the world. They will have found grace and strength and hope in His Word. They will have come face to face with the matchless charms of Christ in His Holy Word. Thus, God will honour their commitment by pouring out His Holy Spirit in abundance, and the whole world will be lightened with the glory of the three angels' messages. The Holy Spirit will be poured out beyond measure, and the gospel will be carried to the ends of the earth, and Jesus Christ will return as indicated in Matthew 24:14. In this week's lesson, we will study the role of the Bible in revival and how God's Word can make a life-changing difference in us if we surrender ourselves in faith and obedience to its precepts and truths. Sunday, July 14, Revived Through the Word Question. Look up each of the verses below. On the first line, write the plea. On the second line, write the circumstance that led David to make the plea. Firstly, it's Psalm 119, verse 25. I have declared my ways, and you answered me. And the second one is in Psalm 119, and verse 107. I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. And then verse 153 and 154. Consider my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Revive me according to your word. Another question. In the Psalms, David talks about the blessings of the Word in his own spiritual life. 
Read the following verses from Psalm 119 and choose a word from each verse that best summarizes the blessings that the psalmist discovered in that word. Firstly, we'll start with verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction, for your word has given me life. And then in verse 74, Those who fear you will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in your word. And then verse 116, Uphold me according to your word, that I may live, and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. And verse 130, The entrance of your words gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. And verse 160, The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures for ever. And verse 169, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Verse 170. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. David found courage and strength in God's word. He discovered hope and divine guidance in God's word. The word of God brought light to his darkened mind. Verse 130. It nourished his famished heart and quenched his thirsty soul. In verse 81. When Saul threatened to kill him, he clung to God's promise of deliverance. We can read about that in Psalm 34 and verse 4. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. Plagued with guilt about his adulterous affair with Bathsheba, he clung to God's promise of forgiveness. Perplexed regarding the future, he clung to God's promise of guidance. We read about that in Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2 and 8. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. David jubilantly exclaimed, Your word has given me life, in Psalm 119, verse 50. The foundation of revival is all about finding new life, in God's Word. So, to finish today, how can you learn to draw hope, strength, assurance, and light from the Word of God? That is, how can you have a deeper experience with the Lord through coming to know Him as He is revealed in the Bible? Monday, July 13. The Word's Creative Power. Question. Read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The passage states that God's Word is living, powerful, and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing our inmost being. How is God's Word alive? 
What does that mean? For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Another question. In what way is God's Word different from the intelligent counsel of any other wise teacher, pastor, or counsellor? What do the following texts say about the power of God's Word? First of all, we have Psalm 33, verses 6 and 9. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. And Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. There is value in wise human counsel. We have all been helped by the advice of others. The problem is that human counsel does not carry with it the power to accomplish the kind of change that God's Word can. God's Word is a living, dynamic, powerful agent of change. The same power that was in God's spoken Word at creation is in the written Word of God. Accepting God's commands and promises by faith, we receive the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish that which Christ commands. Ellen White writes in Education, page 126, The creative energy that called the worlds into existence is in the Word of God. This Word imparts power, it begets life. Every command is a promise, accepted by the will, received into the soul, it brings with it the life of the Infinite One. It transforms the nature and recreates the soul in the image of God. End of quote. A casual reading of God's Word very seldom produces spiritual revival. Studying the Bible to prove one's own position, or to convince someone else of his or her mistakes, does very little good for our own spiritual life. Change comes when we prayerfully read God's Word, asking the Holy Spirit to give us the power to be more like Jesus. Real transformation takes place when we ask the God of creation to recreate us in his image. Change comes when Jesus' teachings in Scripture become part of our lives and we live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, as it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. So to finish today, in what ways has the power of God's word changed your life? In what areas do you need to see more of that change?
Tuesday, July 16. Jesus and the Word. Question. How are the functions of the Word of God and the Spirit of God similar? Let's look at John chapter 5, verse 39. You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. And in the same book, John chapter 16, verses 14 and 15. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. The Word of God bears witness of Jesus. The Holy Spirit also bears witness of Jesus. The Spirit leads us to a deeper experience with Jesus through his Word. The purpose of the Holy Spirit in revival is not primarily to manifest itself through supernatural signs and wonders, but to exalt Jesus through his word. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not about our power to accomplish great miracles. It is about God's power to transform our lives. And that's what revival and reformation are all about. The Word of God provides the foundation or the basis for all genuine revival. Our experience flows out of an understanding of God's Word. Our praise and worship spring from minds saturated with the Word. A transformed life is the greatest testimony of true revival. Positive feelings of praise may accompany revival, but they are never the basis for revival. Any so-called revival based solely on external feelings or experience is shallow at best, deceptive at worst. It is an illusion of spirituality, not genuine godliness. When revival is rooted in the Word of God, it is an experience that lasts and makes a difference in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. The story of Jesus' appearance to the two disciples on the Emmaus Road reveals the role that the Bible plays in initiating true revival. These followers of Christ were filled with confusion. Gradually, however, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, Luke 24:27. He repeated the Old Testament prophecies regarding the Messiah. Jesus could have worked a miracle to prove his identity or showed the scars in his hands. He did not. Instead, he gave them a Bible study. Notice their response as they reflected on what had happened that day. They said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened the scriptures to us? Luke twenty four thirty two. What an example! of genuine revival. So to finish today, why can't we trust our feelings? How can our feelings deceive us? What role do feelings have in our walk with the Lord? And what role do they not have? Wednesday, July 17, Revival, Faith and the Word.
Speaking of the time just before his return, Jesus said in Luke 18 verse 8, When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Evidently, faith will be in short supply in the last days. How might we define Bible faith? Is faith believing that God will give us anything we want? Is faith centered in our desires? Is faith about asking God for what we want and believing we will receive it if we only believe hard enough? We should know the answers to those rhetorical questions, shouldn't we? Faith, true faith, is always focused on God's will, not on our wishes. It is trusting in God, believing in His promises, and acting on His word. Our faith grows as we listen to God's word and put it into practice. Romans 10.17 tells us that. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so does James chapter 2 and verse 17 and 18. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Opening our minds to the teaching of God's word builds faith, and doing what God says, even if it is contrary to our personal desires, prepares us to receive the fullness of the Spirit's power. Question. Why do some people receive little benefit from reading the Bible? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. Our spiritual experience is revived when we accept and claim God's word by faith. There is little benefit derived from hastily reading the Bible out of a sense of obligation or duty. We are changed as we internalize what we read and allow the teachings of the Bible to mold our thoughts and our lives. Question. Compare the faith of the Roman centurion, the paralytic of Bethesda, and the disciples on the stormy sea of Galilee. What can we learn from each account? Well, first of all, we go to Matthew chapter 8, verses 8 to 10. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to his servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. We'll compare that with John chapter 5, verses 6 to 9. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming... Another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, 
and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. And Matthew chapter 14, verses 29 to 33. So he said, Come, and when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him, and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the winds ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, sailing, Truly, you are the Son of God. So to finish the day, faith does not grow merely by reading or listening to God's word. It comes as we claim his promises as our own, and when we believe that what he said applies to us personally. God has given each of us a measure of faith. It is one of heaven's gifts, as we can read in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. When we exercise the faith that he has already placed in our hearts, that faith cannot help but grow. Thursday, July 18. The Word, Revival's Guardian and Safeguard. The Holy Spirit mightily moved through the teaching and preaching of the Apostle Paul as he established the Christian church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a city of approximately 250,000 people. It was considered the marketplace of Asia. As ships brought their wares from throughout Asia, people flocked to Ephesus to buy fine silk, rare jewels, flavorful spices, hand-woven carpets, exquisite art objects, and exotic foods. It was also the centre for the worship of the goddess Diana, and the future home of the famed Celsus Library with 12,000 volumes. The city had a magnificent amphitheatre seating 15,000 people. It was used for massive concerts and theatrical productions. Sexual promiscuity was commonplace. If there were ever an unlikely place for Christianity to take root, grow and flourish, it was Ephesus. Question. Read Ephesus chapter 20, verses 27 to 32. What was Paul's concern for the believers at Ephesus? What was his counsel to the church members in Ephesus? And what role did he give to the word of God? Beginning in verse 27, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. 
Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Another question. Read First Peter chapter one verses twenty two and twenty three, James one twenty one and twenty two, and first John two fourteen. Summarize the teachings of Peter, James and John regarding the importance of the Bible in the life of each Christian. Especially notice the disciples' teaching regarding the impact of the Bible in our spiritual lives. First of all, first Peter chapter one verses twenty two and twenty three. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides for ever. And then James chapter 1 and verses 21 and 22. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then First John chapter 2 and verse 14. And that reads... I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. To finish today, what similarities do you see in all of the above text regarding the role of the word of God? Why, then, must the word of God be central to spiritual revival, both on a personal and on a corporate level. Friday, July 19 from the book The Great Controversy, page 593 and 594, Ellen White writes, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Isaiah 8.20 The people of God are directed to the Scriptures as their safeguard against the influence of false teachers and the delusive power of spirits of darkness. Satan employs every possible device to prevent men from obtaining a knowledge of the Bible, for its plain utterances reveal his deceptions. At every revival of God's work, the prince of evil is aroused to more intense activity. He is now putting forth his utmost efforts for a final struggle against Christ and his followers. The last great delusion is soon to open before us. Antichrist is to perform his marvellous works in our sight, so closely will the counterfeit resemble the true that it will be impossible to distinguish between them except by the Holy Scriptures. By their testimony, every statement and every miracle must be tested. Those who endeavour to obey all the commandments of God will be opposed and derided. They can stand only in God. 
In order to endure the trial before them, they must understand the will of God as revealed in His Word. They can honour Him only as they have a right conception of His character, government and purposes, and act in accordance with them. None but those who have fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible will stand through the last great conflict. And that brings us to our two discussion questions for the week. 1. Read carefully the Ellen White statements in Friday's further study. What role does she give to the Word of God, especially in the context of the last days and the final deceptions? Dwell on the implications of this line. So closely will the counterfeit resemble the true that it will be impossible to distinguish between them except by the Holy Scriptures. What does this tell us about how we need to be careful about judging truth based only on personal experience or on the way that we feel? 2. During the week we read James one twenty two, where we are told to be doers of the word. What does that mean? And why is that so essential for us if we are to have any kind of true spiritual revival in our lives? Why is reading about faith and teaching about faith and talking about faith so much easier than living it? Think through your week. How much of a doer of the word were you? Inside Story Show Me Your Church, Part 2 Roger asked his pastor to visit his school and explain what Seventh-day Adventists believe and why the congregations in the Republic of Congo met in houses, sheds and covered courtyards. The next day, Roger struggled to listen in class while the pastor and the field president met with the school director. The meeting seemed to last forever. Then, moments after the pastors left the school, the director stepped into Roger's classroom and said, From now on, no exams will be scheduled for Saturday. Then, looking at Roger, he added, Now I understand why you honour your Sabbath. One day, Roger's biology teacher urged Roger to consider his future and set aside his faith until he graduated. Roger told him, I can't do that, sir. God commanded me to keep the Sabbath day holy and I must obey. Then he told his teacher about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who refused to bow to the king's image, and were thrown into the fiery furnace. These men didn't know if God would choose to save them, he said, but they preferred to die rather than dishonor God. I can do no less. The teacher asked Roger where his church met. Roger explained that during the civil war in Congo, the government had confiscated the church's clinic and church building. Today we have no building. He reached into his book bag and pulled out his Sabbath school lesson quarterly and showed him the map on the back cover. We are few in the Congo, but we are millions around the world. The teacher was amazed that there were millions of Seventh-day Adventists around the world. He asked many questions about the Seventh-day Adventist Church and what its members believe, and Roger answered them all. He gave the teacher some books by Ellen White, 
Many other teachers and fellow students asked Roger questions about the Bible. As the national exams approached, the school director asked Roger what he would do if an exam fell on Saturday. That's not my problem, Roger said. My duty is to keep the Sabbath. If that means that I fail the exam, so be it. When the exam dates were posted and no exams were scheduled for Sabbath, Roger knew that God had done this to help him to show others that God honours those who choose to obey. Today, thanks to your 13th Sabbath offerings, two churches stand as lighthouses in the Republic of the Congo. Your mission offerings do make a difference. This week's reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Your reader has been Dr. Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful. Faithful.